reading from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. One, two. Fantastic. Okay. So encouraging to see So uh, the room so full. We took a whole row of chairs out. That probably helped. But you wouldn't have seen anything with this stage. Apparently there's something on with drama, uh, a drama HSC thing for the next few weeks. So that might stay there for a little while. Uh, I'll just add my welcome. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's fantastic that you're joining with us. Uh, just last week, we started to look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, I've landed a few of the preaching spots over the next few weeks and I'm teaching Ephesians in my scripture classes to year 9 and 10. So I halved my preparation and I am loving getting into this book. It is so rich. It's taken me a long time to really connect with Ephesians. I've kind of, uh, I listened to a few guys just sitting around chatting about the book of Ephesians and they say it's a lot like the book of Romans, uh, but just condensed and that's right. I've really been drawn to the logic of Romans and that kind of thing before, but the richness of, of what Paul has written that, we're, that we've heard and that we're going to consider this morning is, uh, is incredible. So let's ask that God would, would be with us, helping us to understand his word this morning. Our Father, we give you great thanks for your word. Lord, we thank you that we have it recorded, we have it in our hands. Lord, let us be people that don't take that for granted. Lord, speak to us by your word. Lord, mould us and transform us. Father, we do thank you that, that we can uh, read it and understand it. But Father, we need your spirit to live it. So Lord, we ask that you'd be active in our lives. Lord, bring conviction, comfort and encouragement. Lord, please shape what I say, Lord, that it might add to that and aid that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I'm married and I've got two little children and from time to time, my wife Tara takes the kids away and it can last two nights, three nights, four or five nights. And often when this happens, uh, the guys that are in a similar situation to me, we kind of compare notes. You, oh, your wife's going away oh, and your kids too. Where, what are you going to do? Now, Bob, my friend Bob, it's Bob time. Stay away from me. I've got all the Netflix shows that I want to watch saved up. I've got some new video uh, board games that I've invited my select board gaming friends to 
come and play with me. I never get invited to that. And I've got my bottle of Coke that I'm going to work my way through in my Bob time. So don't interrupt Bob time. Luke, my mate Luke, when when it happens for him, this is what he told me the other day. It's get the house tidied. He's got two really little kids, so little kids they just pull stuff out everywhere. Get the place tidied up and then just bask in the serenity of the orderedness of everything in its right place in the house. Uh, probably eat whatever you want to, don't you, Luke? And for me, I'm like the complete... Sometimes I'm like that. Occasionally I get I get into that pattern with uh, that Luke does. But I'm more often the other way. I'm like, oh, I really want to get everything tied up. I really want to get heaps of stuff done. And then I'm just like, oh, when do they come back on Friday? Yeah, okay. I'm going to put aside the last three hours before they're going to arrive home. I'm anxiously making the phone calls, just trying to time it when you're leaving. Okay, I've got just enough time to get it all prepared just so that when you get home, everything's put away in order. And I am terrible at at um, staying up too late just watching rubbish on TV. And it's like, oh, but they're not here and I can do I have the freedom to do this. And I mean, it's 2 a.m. and I'm like, oh, I've got to go to school in the morning. Oh, this is terrible. I think all of us would agree that it's better when our wives and our families are there with us. That's the, that's the essence of being a family, isn't it? Now, when Jesus, the night before he was with his disciples and the night before he was about to be crucified, and he had this close-knit group of, of guys that he'd invested in and spent all this time with, he, st- he started to talk to them about everything that was coming up. And it's recorded in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And he talks about, um, he's preparing them for him to not be there anymore. And he says a whole bunch of things to them. But among what he teaches them is about the spirit that he's giving to them. The, the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives to carry on what he started among them. And one of the incredible things that it records in John chapter 16 and verse 7, Jesus says to them, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Advocate is a way of describing the Holy Spirit. It uses several different descriptions, the Counselor, uh, the, the, uh, the Spirit. Unless I go, he will not come to you. Now, can you just imagine being one of the disciples sitting there with Jesus, having witnessed all the miracles, having heard him speak and teach, to sit there and hear him say, it is better for you that I am not going to be here. You kind of think, are you serious, Jesus? How would it be any better situation than to have you right here with me all the time? Well, what does that say about the nature of the Spirit that he's planning to give? How powerful that Spirit is. 
at the, in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, the part that we, that we studied last week and that comes right before what we've had read to us this morning, Paul writes this of God's Holy Spirit. He says here, in verse 13 of chapter 1, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. Writing to the Ephesian Christians, Paul is recognizing and encouraging them that the Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus promised to his disciples, is now come into their lives, has come into their church, has come into them as his people. It is the deposit of the of the inheritance that they're set to gain, namely that they're adopted as his children, that they're included in his family and they have a glorious hope of life with him forever. They know and have believed the gospel. The first part of chapter 1 of Ephesians tells us how the gospel is from time past, before the creation of the world, it says. We were chosen in him. It's the present. We're adopted into his family now. And it's the future. It's where everything is brought under the head, brought under Jesus' rule. And so in that first part, Paul is full of praise for what God's done, for this glorious gospel and how now by his spirit, it's living inside of these people. And in the rest of this passage that we've just heard, Paul's praise to God for everything that he's done turns into prayer. It turns into fervent prayer for the people that he's writing to. See, Paul knows the reality of what God has done to bring them into this relationship. And Paul tells us in verse 15 that he's seen the first fruits of it. You should have the Bible passage printed in front of you. Look at verse 15. He talks about the faith that he, in the Lord Jesus that these people have. And he talks about the love that they are demonstrating for one another. Paul knows the reality of the Spirit's work in their life that the Spirit has brought about faith in Jesus, that the Spirit has brought about a love for one another. See, the Spirit is our deposit, our deposit that this truth has come into our lives. The Spirit is our advocate. It's our wisdom, it'll go on to say. It's our revelation and it's our true power. And so he prays to God that his Spirit would continue to work in their lives. And that's what this passage is all about. So the purpose of his prayer that we're about to look through the points of is that the Spirit would take them deeper. Now, going deeper can mean all kinds of things. You can go deeper into um, a shopping center. Going to a shopping center, you're kind of like, what is this monolith of a place? You walk in and it just turns into a big maze, like those crazy ones up on the Gold Coast. And depending on who you are, it's either like, whoa, look at all this exotic stuff all these different fashions that I've never seen before, some that I never want to see again. And you wander your way through it. Or if you're kind of like me, you kind of go, oh, where's the next seat that I can sit on while the person that I'm with goes and does that? We don't go to shopping centers that much because if you take kids in there, it's crazy. 
You can explore things like caves. You can go deep down into caves, can't you? You can explore a topic. You can think of, you know, something that you're interested in and keep researching it. Going deeper can mean exploring something. Well, you can do that with the gospel, but that's not quite what Paul's getting at here. Going deeper in your Christian faith can be that metaphor of like growing roots, grounding yourself in the truth there. Sometimes growing deeper can be like an inward-looking thing, going deeper inside yourself and understanding yourself. And those can be good things. But what I think Paul's getting at here comes back to what he's already said. He's demonstrated how by faith we're in Christ, we're included in Christ. We have his inheritance. We have his righteousness. We're adopted as one of God's children because we have his credentials now. We're saved. And so going deeper into that is coming into a fuller realization, a fuller understanding, a knowledge that goes beyond just being able to comprehend in your heart to where it's so embedded in your, sorry, in your head that it's so embedded in your heart that it overflows into every part of your life. And this is God's grace continuing to work beyond the grace that he shows to save you. See, when you come to put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is God's grace at work. It's his undeserved calling of you into his family. It's his undeserved gift of forgiveness shown at the cross in his son. But his grace doesn't stop there. His grace continues to work in our hearts, to work in our lives. As gently he guides us, like that loving father, to a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper picture of what that reality actually is. This is what transforms you as a Christian. This is where Christian transformation starts. No one can exert enough effort to kill sin in one area of your life or kill sin in another area of your life to just become a better person. It all flows out of this. And that's where Paul's going in this passage. Paul sets an example here also by praying about this stuff. See, we're not reading just a list of things to do. We're not even reading some kind of doxology where he's kind of explaining and expounding all these different ideas. We're listening in on Paul praying praying for these people that he dearly loves, that this deepening would happen in their lives. So he's not content to just see that these guys can assert the truth. He's not content to just see that they can say with their lips, but it's about seeing it deepen in their hearts. And the love that they show for each other, he knows that that can be strengthened and grow as well. See, Paul himself knows God. He's in this intimate relationship with God. And so he's speaking to God that they would know him more, as intimately as he does, and more and more together. Faith and love for others only can grow in your life 
through you knowing God more deeply. He sees those things in their hearts, the faith and love. So he prays for the deepening relationship with the Father by the Spirit to bring it all about. See, last week in those first verses of chapter 1, we saw less on how or why to worship as much as we just tune into his pure worship and genuine worship of God. Well, this week is much the same. It's less on how or why we should pray as much as it is just listening in on Paul's genuine hope-filled prayer. And there's heaps of stuff to gleam out of this. So I've picked out three prayer points from the rest of these passages that we're going to look through and consider for ourselves now. Look at verse 16 with me. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's not thanking the Ephesians for their faith. He's thanking God for their faith. He's not thanking them even for their love for one another, even though that's something they're actively doing. He's thanking God for that love seen. I've been blown away by a few things like this lately. A few weeks ago, we were trying to organize a youth group meeting, and we do this every four times a year at the start of every school term, and one of the leaders contacted me and said, hey, would you like to have that meeting at my place? Oh, and by the way, how about I cook everyone dinner? Oh, and by the way, how about we all just come and hang out beforehand? What great love for one another. I had so much to thank God about in that instance. I've had people contact me and say, hey, look, this could be happening better in church. We could be following people up and praying better. And not just is not just go and do this, but hey, here's a few things that I can do to actually see that come about, to help that happen. Great love for one another. Great faith growing. I've been encouraged to see people say, hey, let's get together for this breakfast or let's get together in this way to, to have a picnic here or things there. I've been seeing youth come to church. The faith that's being brought about in some of the young people in our youth group even my kids articulating the truth and praying with us with such sincerity. Like, if I, I just, reading these verses, had to stop and think about this stuff. And these are the things that I've had to thank God for lately. What great things. And all you've got to do is just stop, like Paul has, and considered what's actually happening. Stop and consider what's going on around you. You'll see heaps of stuff to thank God about. Now, I didn't mention anyone's names then because I didn't want to leave people out, because that doesn't just happen in my circle, and that's just the things that have happened around me. But look at all of us here. There's faith here. There's love for one another here. And so there should be praise on our lips to God for what he's doing among us. And that's where it should be. That's where we should be acknowledging it, to God. We should be thanking him for that transformation. Now, I'm not going to challenge you about how thankful you are. If you need that challenge, I'm sure it's already popped up in your head. But I want to point out that we actually are countercultural in doing this. See, we live in a culture that's very quick to complain about things. It's very easy to have a whinge about something. A couple of weeks ago, we tuned into a a talk on, on the screen, a recorded talk from Michael Ramsden, and he pointed out that uh, when there was a survey was done of people that live, um, you know, which countries in the world have the most oppressive governments, I think it was something like all those, you know, 
uh, standout uh, European countries like Sweden and like all those Nordic countries that when they were surveyed, they said, we're the most oppressed people in the world. Like it's nonsense, isn't it? But that's just kind of the culture that we live in where we're very quick to complain about things. The path that we're on as Christians just goes against that because we've got a God who is at work. We've got a God who has sent his spirit. We live in an era, in the time, just, get, just think about Jesus' words from John. It is better for you that I go so that my spirit will come. We live in that era where the spirit has come, where God is still at work in this day, in this time, among people, calling them out, bringing them to himself. We've got a lot to thank God about. We've got a lot to thank God for. The second prayer point, verse 17, look at it with me. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Now, wisdom is such an important thing to pray for. Wisdom is the, is the way that we go on living, the way that we make decisions. And he prays that God's spirit would bring about that wisdom in their life. For the Ephesians, they were living in a pagan city. Okay, They were up against it. You can read about it. I think it's about Acts 18. You can read the kind of city that Ephesus was and the way that the gospel worked its way in there. They were up against it living for Jesus. And Paul prays that the spirit would bring about the wisdom that they need to live out that truth in this place. How much is that true of us as well? Do we ask God for wisdom? Do you ask God for that wisdom? His spirit is inside you if your faith is in Jesus. And it's there partly for this reason, to guide your decision-making. Sometimes he guides you in that conviction that you need, that yes, that is sinful, yes, you shouldn't be there, you should not be doing that, that conviction of sin. Sometimes that's the wisdom that you need. But sometimes it's actually deciding between good things. I've got this good thing to do, I've got this good thing to do. What would you have me do, Lord? This spirit of wisdom is never contrary to God's word. It's never separate to God's word. We can't just go on with our Christian life saying, oh, well, he's given me the spirit now. I'll just leave my Bible over there and I'll just be listening for the spirit's wisdom all the time. That's not how it works. It's fueled by his word. But it's with us. And so Paul, for that reason, prays for that inside them. Not only that, he prays for revelation. That is, that God would be revealed in this deeper way, like I was talking about a little bit before, that they would know God better. Why do you read the Bible? You read it so that you know the God that you have been brought into relationship with. You read it so that you know him. The more that I've read it, I don't know, 20-something years I've been a Christian, the more that I've read it, the clearer picture of God who I is. And the, the hard questions 
get easier because I know the God that's given the answer to them. Sometimes I find it harder to understand the answer, but my trust in the God that's giving the answer is built up because I know him. How do we grow? How does growth happen for us in our Christian life? Well, Paul asked for the Ephesians that they would have the Spirit bringing revelation, that they would know God better. That's how you grow. We've got to pray. That's, that should be a prayer point for us, that we, by the Spirit, that God would let us know Him better. Now, I just want to work out something here. Okay, Paul's just prayed that they would have the Spirit, but he's also said in verse 13 that the Spirit is already with them in, as a deposit. So these Christians have already received the Holy Spirit, but now he's praying that they would have the Holy Spirit. Is Paul saying somehow in some way that... They had the Spirit, but then they lost it, and now he's praying that they would get it back again. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can be a little bit confusing. So if you ask the question, at this point, haven't they already got the Spirit? The answer is a resounding yes. Verse 13 says that. When they believed, they were sealed with this Spirit. A little bit later in Ephesians, in chapter 5, verse 18, Paul will pray this, or he will say this. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. Why is he telling them to be filled with the Spirit when they've already got the Spirit inside of them as a deposit? Now, one of the false teachings of our time is that somehow, somewhere, there is a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. That somehow, once we've given our life to Jesus, yes, that's fine, but then we need to receive some kind of second experience or second conversion of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's one of the false teachings of our time. And there's no ambiguity in what Paul's actually saying here. When we have faith in Jesus, we have received his Spirit. His Spirit is in you if your faith is in Jesus. But yet, he prays that they would receive the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of revelation. He encourages them later to be filled with the Spirit. And it just leads us into this understanding that God's Spirit and you is a dynamic relationship. You're sealed with that Spirit. But you, in your walk, can relate to that Spirit, relate with that Spirit. Just adopt this, to an, take this thinking to just another area that we talk about for a second. Think about forgiveness. When is somebody forgiven? When they accept God's forgiveness. At that moment, they're forgiven from all sin past and all sin future. What about when that person sins? Are they suddenly lost that forgiveness? Have they foregone that forgiveness? No, that's, that's not possible because the forgiveness is based in Jesus. Well, should they ask for forgiveness when they sin? Yeah, of course you should ask for forgiveness when you sin. What gives you the confidence to ask for the forgiveness? Because you know that you've already received it. 
Can you see how it's the same with the Spirit? When your faith is in Christ, you have received the Spirit. And God's Word encourages you to keep asking for that Spirit into your life. I can't put it any clearer than that. Can you ask for the Spirit? Yes, and you should. Do you already have the Spirit? Be confident of that. This third prayer point. Look at verse 18 with me. He prays for hope. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul prays for them to have eyes to see the hope. And he's not talking about seeing it with their with their physical eyes. He's not talking about understanding that's going to come in their head. He's talking about seeing it with your heart. That's not just articulating it. That's not just saying, yes, I believe it and I'm going to go to heaven. It's not just saying that I have the hope, yeah, one day it'll all be okay. This is heart knowledge. This is experiencing it right now in our trials, in our moments, in our doubts. How do we engage our hearts? There's a myriad of ways that you might do this. Maybe it's been encouraged, you've been encouraged to journal or to go on retreats or to meditate on scripture or to listen to music or to be in prayer. But Paul is praying about it. And that tells me that it is a work of God to have this deepening revelation, to have this engagement of my heart. See, it's centered in the hope that we have. Belief that we are adopted children of God can't be contained to head knowledge. You can't just contain that to something that you only acknowledge in your mind. If we really believe the doctrine that we have been adopted as the children of God, then we have a God that we relate to as a father. He's praying that they would know that. The eyes of their heart would be opened to this. And the way that that's going to, it's a knowledge that works out in how they actually react, how they actually live, how they actually do stuff. Added into that, he actually prays that they would know their worth. Look at the second half of verse 18. This is this has blown me away this week trying to understand this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Whose inheritance is, is he talking about? It's God's inheritance. It's what God is set to inherit by saving us. Yes, we have an inheritance, and that's spoken about in the first part of the chapter, but you are the inheritance that God is seeking. What did God stand to gain by sending Jesus? A people. It was you. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 10, it talks about the past, the present, and the future, all that he did to bring that about. How do you engage your heart? Go deeper into that truth. Go deeper into what that means, that God, his love is so deep. Over in chapter 3, verse 18 of Ephesians, Paul 
praying again. He prays for them that they might have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is that love of Christ and that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. It's the phenomenal depth of God's grace. God's grace comes from his mercy and he is rich in mercy. But it's not just his mercy. It is mercy coupled with his deep, deep love for us. That's a a phenomenal truth, that we are his inheritance, that he seeks to inherit. And so the second part of this final prayer point, this heart knowledge is that we would know the power that comes with that. Look at verse 19. And this incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul's praying that they would know God's power. You can see power in all kinds of things. Think about a storm. Think about the lightning and the thunder and the noise of it. Think about the wind. We've had a lot of that. Look at the ocean. You can see the power. Now, all those little examples I've just given you are what? Power of God seen in the creation. But Paul doesn't go to that. He doesn't pray that they would know the powerful, the power of the creator God. He goes straight to the biggest demonstration of power that God has ever exerted, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is powerful. He's powerful to create. He's powerful to guide and act in this world. He's powerful to do miracles. His power to cancel that legal debt that we have for our own sin. But his resurrection power, that shows his power to take the worst possible thing, the death of his very own son, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, And to turn it into the greatest possible thing. The greatest possible thing that can ever be spoken in this world. That Jesus was risen from the dead. And that he's now seated Lord over all things. This prayer to know God's power. It's the prayer to know that God is able to take the worst possible thing and turn it into the greatest possible thing. And so he prays it for these Ephesian Christians because they're going to face bad things, but they're praying to God who gives a power to take the whatever bad thing and turn it into a good thing. In Romans 8.28, an often quoted verse, He says the same sentiment. We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That very sentiment is what he is praying for these Ephesians here, that they would know the resurrection power where God has proved that he takes the worst possible thing and makes it into the best possible thing. Christian hope is never wishful thinking. Paul's prayer is that they would know the God who can turn the worst of our life, the worst of our character, the most shameful of our sin, 
and the most awful things done against us and that he would bring good about it in our lives now. This just leads me into one other thought that I've had. When we're trying to articulate to people the hope that we have when we try to share the gospel with other people, sometimes, and I catch myself doing this, I try to get people thinking, do you want to know your creator? Do you want to know the God that made you? And that's that's nice. That goes well with our longing to know our meaning and our purpose. But think about what Paul said here and how it could reshape how we try to reach out to people. Shouldn't we be asking people, do you want to meet the one with power over death? Because that's where hope is. That's where hope that overcomes all our meaninglessness and purposelessness. That's where hope that is that overcomes any trial or obstacle that we face. It's not hard for us to see the parallels between us and the Ephesian Christians. We don't have Jesus with us, just like they didn't. They never laid eyes on Jesus. Just because they're in the New Testament, they weren't walking around with him. But they have his spirit, just as we have his spirit. We can know him better, and there's no end to the growth that will come from knowing him better. So firstly, pray for that deepening for yourself. If nothing else, this passage has got to drive us to be on our knees, asking that God would let us keep knowing him and knowing him more deeply. Can I encourage you in that to don't fear the consequences of that? Like sometimes it can be daunting to think, well, I'm kind of comfortable with kind of where I'm at at the moment. I'm kind of comfortable to just, you know, be on the edge of of church life and be on the edge of this and kind of get to my Bible when I can? No. Pray that God would take you deeper and don't balk at it. Don't fear the habitual sins that that might address. Don't fear the increase that uh, you might invoke in your wanting to be involved in things and being committed to things. Don't fear that. Because remember that all of this is bringing you closer to the Father that has brought you, that is longing to inherit you. Secondly, don't just stop at praying for yourself, but pray this for one another. Like I said already, look for things to be thanking God for that he's doing in one another's life. Ask that people would know him better. This is loving one another. This is being committed to loving one another. And maybe for you, that's the biggest thing that you can contribute. The biggest thing you can contribute to God's mission is the prayer. Prayer into what's going on around you. And finally, pray with confidence. This is not everything that the Bible says about prayer, but, but pray with confidence that God would do this work in people's lives. Listen to verse 22 and 23 to finish. And God placed all things under his, that is Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
At the end of his prayer, Paul reminds us that Jesus is Lord. He is in that position of rule. He is building his church. He is working by the spirit that he left for us. So what else should we do but ask that he would continue to do that by the spirit that he's left for us? Let's do that now. Loving Father, we do give you great thanks for the richness of your gospel, for your work, past, present, and future, by your Son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your Spirit that brings that alive in each of our lives. Lord, we do ask for that heart knowledge of you. Lord, we ask that you would deepen our faith, deepen our love for one another. Lord, that you would help us to realize how firm your grip is on us. And Lord, that we would have lives that are constantly transforming, that are growing, that are deepening in that great truth. Lord, we celebrate that we can share this. Lord, help us not to take this for granted. Lord, help us not to miss the depth of what Paul prayed for. And Lord, help us to form those habits where we will ask this for ourselves and ask it out of love for those we see you working in their lives. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.